and welcome back to another episode of Box to Box. My name is Jesse Levine. I'm back with some of my co-hosts, Alexander Puri, Akshay Wadwani, and the person with potentially the most insane take of the entire season, Ben, of Ronaldo not helping Man U out, but we'll go back to that in a little bit. Let's hop into the Premier League race. Today is Wednesday, so we just had a couple important matches, and we're going to touch upon really the three races there of the top, the uh, top for um, champion of the Prem, top four, and relegation battle. Alex, you want to start off? You were at the game of Tottenham versus Liverpool. Why don't you break down the game quickly for us and what really that means for the um, race for um, Prem champions? Well, I mean, I think... I think from Liverpool's end, it doesn't do too much. I think I actually think the the result today, the Man City result today, um, was more decisive. But I'll get to Liverpool. Um, I, I think on um, they were definitely maybe a bit tired. Um, you know, they just had that away leg at Villarreal, so they're coming back from that. We know how well Conte is going to set his team up defensively. Um, he set his team up to frustrate, and that's what he did. Certainly frustrated me, um, but. Um, you know, I think as disappointing as it is, um, the goal uh, that Diaz scored is important. It keeps Liverpool just alive. But they were always going to depend on City. Even if Liverpool had won that game, it was always going to be a matter of whether or not City would drop points. And the games that I had looked to were the Wolverhampton game today, uh, where City were away, and the West Ham game away this weekend. City beat Wolves 5-1. Um, so that's put to bed. And that also boosts their goal difference as well. It can come down to that. Um, so, the, you know, I think the, the only hope is that realistically they're going to have to drop points against West Ham and Aston Villa. I don't see them dropping points in either of those games, let alone both. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as disappointing as it was not to, not to see Liverpool get the dub, I don't think it's going to be too costly in the end. And I think the focus now just turns to uh, the FA Cup this weekend and then obviously the big one on the 28th of May against Real Madrid. So, the, so this race is over, basically, is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, race, title race is over. Yeah. And Oxford, do you guys agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, if you look at the remaining fixture list, there's just – I don't see a conceivable way that City would would blow this. Um, you know, the, their choking is reserved for the Champions League, which we'll get to. Um, so, uh, you know, in the Premier League, they're always clinical. And there's not any teams on their remaining fixture list that really, I think, come even in, into the same stratosphere. Uh, as them in terms of having a chance to beat them. So, yeah, I'd say I would agree with you, Alex. I think the title race is over. And I think, you know, it, it's nice as a Liverpool fan that, you you know, you're focusing on, on the positives left for the season, which is that, you know, you still got the FA Cup final. You still got the Champions League final, which I think uh, City would want a lot more the, the that trophy than the Premier League one. So I'd say Liverpool still trumps City in terms of morale this season. But, yeah, I'd say the Premier League title race is done. You have to win both of them first. Ben, do you agree? I do agree. I, I really think, you know, it, it's kind of worked out for the best, I think, for both clubs in terms of bringing home silverware this weekend, rather than both of them just beating the hell out of each other the rest of the way out. So in reality, like if Liverpool do want to put that emphasis, right, I mean, like it, it would have been close, right? So with that three point advantage and just goal difference coming down to being the like final decider, I mean, with Man City putting up that five spot today, I mean, realistically that probably sealed the deal because even if city do slip up once they definitely won't slip up twice going down the stretch and so that five spot basically just sealed it for liverpool that even on goal difference they're not going to be able to slide through um but yeah so that'll benefit both clubs in england in general by having 
a, a different team, you know, competing for different trophies, for instance, right? So, you know, if City, I mean, one English team obviously has to take the Premier League, but if, you know, that leaves Liverpool to focus on just the Champions League, then they, they can bring home the, the Holy Grail back to the league as well. Absolutely. Exactly. I, I mean, th there is for me like the, the, you know, the, the fairy tale possibility of obviously City would have to drop points of West Ham and then Aston Villa under Gerrard getting a result, Coutinho scoring a world day, but that, that's a fairy tale ending. Um, it's just not going to happen. Not, it's not happening. They're also no. seven goals down on goal differential. No. Just so even if you know they lost one of the games and Liverpool won both, I think what if, if we could slightly change because I think we're all you know congrats to City for winning it. Congrats, you know unfortunately no, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but of course they're going to choke in Champions League, so it's going to be kind of a bittersweet season for them. But I think the bigger result here. And I don't know if this is really should be viewed as a positive or negative, because I think you could really argue, I mean, Alex, again, you're at this game. I felt Tottenham really could have had more from this game. I did say that Tottenham were going to win this game 2-1. They did have a higher expectancy in goals. I believe Liverpool had like 0.7 with Tottenham just about at one. Uh, really threatening on the counterattack with Liverpool's high line. And just some of the balls that they played over the top, Sun, Kane, and Kulisevsky looking really dangerous at times. What do we think about this top four race? And Alex, is the draw for Tottenham more of a negative result for them based off the implications of points right now? Um, well, first of all, I definitely did have a few heart attacks, particularly in the second half uh, watching that game. There were some moments where I really thought my entire trip would have been ruined um, because Tottenham looked very dangerous on the counterattack. But the I think a lot of the consensus that I was seeing after the game was um, – uh, it's excellent management from Conte. They go to Anfield, they get a point. Uh, Conte outmanaged Klopp and being able to uh, basically subdue the Liverpool side going forward. But I don't think it was such good management from Conte because the team is now four points behind Arsenal. Even if they do win the North London Derby, Arsenal still, um, it, it would be a very slender lead, but Arsenal are still to control the top four race. This is a game that Tottenham needed to win. And I think at the end of the day, as much as they frustrated Liverpool in the afternoon, they were punished for having a very negative approach. Um, you know, the, the top four races now no longer in their hands. You know, it, it is Arsenal. Um, so Arsenal could very well choke up. It's not something that is outside the realm of possibility, but it's also very possible that Tottenham choke up as well. Um, so I, I'm not too, yeah, I'm not too fond of, of the way that Conte approaches game, not just because it pissed me off personally, but I think even if I were a Tottenham fan, I'd be a little disappointed that they didn't show more ambition in a game they really needed to win. See, I, I, I don't agree with that from a tactical standpoint. I thought Tottenham's tactics were spot on. Um, th this is how they've beaten good teams. And it's not the fact that it's kind of a guess. This has happened before. They've, they took points from, you know, they won the game against Manchester City playing this way. Uh, City play a pretty high line as well with pretty fast wingbacks. Um, I think you could even argue with Ruben Diaz in there. It's pretty fat, a pretty fast center back in there. Very similar with Van Dyke being in there for Liverpool. So I actually think that it was a brilliant tactics from Tottenham and being able to get a point. And like I said, the, I thought they should have had more. They had that chance in like the 93rd minute where they put the cross in, headed the ball back. And I think it was a poor header. That would have, would have been a tap and goal. They had a good chance in the first half. They had the ball from Kuliskevsky passing into Kane and then the, someone has shot right at the edge of the box. So. I think it's a good result for, um, I mean, it's a fine result for Tottenham. I think they need, needed more, but I thought the tactics were spot on. Ben, I keep seeing you shaking your head. What are you, you know, in positive way? What are you, what are you thinking? 
I'm agreeing exactly with you here, Jesse. Like, I, I really think tactically, I mean, and, and I'm a big appreciator of Antonio Conte to begin with, but he is somebody who reads, he's somebody who reads the game perfectly before the match even goes. I mean, everybody says that Pep tinkers too much. Antonio Conte is the opposite. He comes correct to every game with exactly the re- required, you know, tactical capabilities for, for a team to be set up for success. Now, if individual players make mistakes and things of that sort, like, you know, that's, obviously unpredictable but or if you just have one player like you know as Juventus ran into in the Copa uh, or the um, Champions League final that he played with Juventus right uh, against Barcelona I mean you ran into the front of Messi Neymar Suarez right so he can game plan as, as well as you can obviously there's sometimes acts of God that you can't prepare for like Messi Neymar Suarez but overall Antonio Conte has proven that he can come correct to whatever match that he comes to right and, and as Jesse was saying Tottenham could have gotten more out of that game I mean, it, it was right there on the table for them. It just comes down to an obvious lack of quality comparatively to Liverpool, right? And so Tottenham, the, I mean, everybody's talking about how Tottenham's lucky to even be in the top four race right now. I mean, they were dead in the water in the doldrums, right? You know, they, they were, there was no there was nobody talking about Tottenham making Champions League next year until Antonio Conte came and took over and put this team on his back, right? So when it comes down to it, too, if we look at the comparative schedules between Arsenal and Tottenham, right? Which one has the harder schedule? It's looking like Arsenal at the moment because they're playing a lot of people who are, are, are showing up for relegation battles, right? They have Everton down the stretch. They have Newcastle down the stretch who are trying really hard not to go down after they just got a Newcastle, massive investment. Newcastle are safe. Newcastle's fine. Newcastle, Newcastle are actually safe. They, they looked, they're like, in, they're in danger in January, but they're good. But I think Everton's a big one if they're still not. Everton's risk, huge. Not. And keep in mind, Arsenal lost to Everton at Everton and they got completely outplayed. Right. And so this comes down to, right, with three matches remaining for both teams, okay, if Tottenham do win tomorrow, that puts them not quite in the driver's seat, but that puts them in a really good spot to take that one-point lead, right? Because then all they need to do is get one draw out of Arsenal in the last two games. And then they, if they win out and play their part, then they can, it, it is kind of in their hands at that point because I'm circling that Arsenal-Everton game on the calendar as a potential uh, uh, bad day for Arsenal there. I. I unfortunately agree with Ben here. Now, it's worth noting that if Arsenal do beat Tottenham at White Hart Lane, which I can't think of a bigger North London derby in the last 15 years than this one. Um, So many implications. And it's funny because um, Conte was complaining about the fact that the game was postponed earlier in the season. From a football fan standpoint now, I couldn't have asked for anything more. I mean, potentially you have it on the last day. Uh, of the season if there's implications there but my god I mean Arsenal going to Tottenham to make it to Champions League for the first time in years um Tottenham potentially being able to put a huge spoiler in Arsenal's chances of coming in the top four at their home stadium in front of their fans I mean this has huge storylines written all over it but I completely agree with Ben Tottenham have found an identity that's worked for them they found a lineup that has worked for them they play a very strong three in the back, a three, four, really a three, four, one, two on offense with Kane Moore dropping. And then from a defensive standpoint, a three, four, two, one with Kane leading the press. So very interesting to see their tactics, um, Tottenham, and it's worked for them and they haven't changed and, and credit to Conte for the job he's done there. And as I said before, if they make it to top four, I think he's in um, argument for manager of the year, as long as, as well as our time, if they make it to top four. I, I want to get your takes on this though, because Tottenham really have to win if they have, if they're going to have any chance. They have to. If they they draw, have to. It's pretty much over. Right. So does, 
Conte go into this game with the same approach that he did at Liverpool, or are we going to see a more positive approach from Tottenham, a more ambitious approach, particularly because they're at home? Um, what, what would you guys, I mean, Jesse and, and Ben, um, I mean, you guys are kind of on opposite ends of this in, in a way, but what, what would you rather see, um, you know, from, from, from Tottenham? Ben, you want to go first here? Sure. I think, I think if you're Antonio Conte, you keep the same approach that you took to Liverpool, right? And I, I don't think that it, it benefits you at all in a game that you need to win to sit back. Because if you're going to go down, I'm a big believer in going down guns a-blazing. Um, not incredibly where you leave everything unguarded, but, you know, you need to go out and make a concerted effort to win the match rather than try to win on the counter, especially when there are two teams of similar quality. Okay, you have to assess yourself and you have to assess the opposing squad and come up with your your game plan based on what you value versus where you think their strengths and weaknesses are, rather than saying we're the underdog. So we're going to pack it in and just hope for a draw. Like, no, I, I don't think Antonio Conte thinks that way either, which, you know, would put the team in a bad spot to win. But I, I really think the attacking approach and utilization of you know the wide players that they've been able to, I mean, because look at look at what they've done with Kulzewski. I mean, he bosses a wing, no problem. Right. And getting those crosses into a big, you know, I know we call uh, Harry Maguire slab head, but I mean, Kane's got a freaking giant forehead, too, that you could bounce balls off of all day. So, you know, if you're looking for some exciting football and if that wing's not there, right, then you have somebody like Kuzeski to cut through the middle and you have, you know, plenty of help in the midfield to Dombele circumvent, you know, circumventing defenders left and right. Right. I mean, there's a lot there in Tottenham's game that says just throw everything caution to the wind, including Son, right. I mean, he's the X factor in that as well. Right. If you have speed players and you could go at somebody, especially a weak, slow defense like Arsenal, I mean, you might as well. Let's put a little bit more respect on Arsenal's defense, who have, I think, significantly improved this season. Um, here's the biggest um, determining factor. is going to be who is Kieran Tierney's replacement on Thursday. If Kieran Tierney is playing, I look at that back for a healthy Tomiyasu, who I think has been absolutely brilliant this year. Um, if he's not hurt, I think he should be – he should really be the one that's talked about for – the signing of the season, not just for Arsenal, but for anyone in the Prem. Ramsdale has been, I actually think, a little bit suspect over in the second half of the season, but good enough. Um, and he and he will be the keeper going forward. So you can bring up Odegaard as well, but who is his replacement? Because we've seen Tavares play, who has shows that he has mistakes in him consistently. A lot of raw talent, but consistent mistakes, consistent out of positioning. When you have a team like Tottenham, I that that could just play balls over the top. You push up too much as a wing back and you are screwed, um, especially with the way that Tottenham play. So I think it really depends on who plays that other wing wing back role. Um, I look for Tomiyasu to go back to the right. He played on the left side. I look for him to go back to the right to deal with Son, but I actually look for them to potentially bring in or Tomiyasu. Uh, I look for them to potentially bring in Ben White if he's healthy as the fourth option in the back there. And for them not to press up too much and allow their front six to be creative. If that's the case, though, I also look for Tottenham, if they're smart, to really press, keeping the same formation, maybe not even a higher line, but a strong press from that front seven, um, really that front three. There's a lot of potential mistakes uh, to be made there. Gabriel's not amazing on the ball. Um, potentially play at the other position. Tavares, if he's there, has mistakes in him all day. Elneny and Jaka are good enough at holding up the ball, but 
again, have mistakes to be made there. So if I'm Tottenham, I look to be that front three pressing strongly, potentially with those two as uh, in Bentoncourt and, um, geez, what's his name? Uh, Hoiberg. Hoiberg, thank you. So I look for those two to be the kind of the pressing there. That's what I would do for Tottenham standpoint. I think the big key is who do Arsenal play as that other wing back that's going to be really telling, you know, telling if um, how they um, how they do. Well, let's go a bit further down the table, way further down the table, to the relegation battle. Some big results today: Leeds uh, with a three 0 defeat at home to Chelsea, seriously damages their hopes of survival. Uh, Everton not doing themselves many favors with a nil nil draw today against Watford. Um, Akshay, why don't we let you get the first word on this? Yeah, I think Everton blew a huge opportunity today. I think it's not so much a result that dooms them as it is a result that is just, it's a huge miss for them to gain significant ground uh, over everybody else that uh, is chasing them for that, you know, 17th place spot. Um, Leeds dropped points again. They've now lost two straight. Uh, Everton won over the weekend when Watford, uh, Leeds and Burnley all lost. So they took care of business over the weekend, but couldn't get the job to Dundee against a, a Watford team that they really should be beating comfortably. Uh, I don't care that it's at um, Vicarage Road, I think is where Watford plays. I don't care that it's at Vicarage Road. Watford have just been atrocious this year, and Everton are far superior and should be beating them easily, um, no matter what pitch it's on. So a nil-nil draw against Watford is simply not good enough, um, and it's a huge blown chance for them, given that Leeds lost today significantly as well by three goals to nil to Chelsea. Um, so huge blow, not only in terms of goal difference, I'm pretty sure Everton have a better goal difference than Leeds anyway. Um, but this was really like a huge opportunity for Everton to take three points and go three points above, um, Burnley, Leeds and Watford, I believe, uh, for the, for that 17th spot and that, that survival spot. Um, so I think from an Everton perspective, um, they still, I would say are in the driver's seat in terms of this race. They're a point ahead, uh, of Burnley, of, uh, Leeds, and I believe of Watford as well. I think Watford might be lower. No, Watford's um, right but they, they have a two Yeah, so they're, they're, they're on 36. Burnley are on 34. Leeds are on 34. Yeah, Everton could be four points clear right now, and instead they're only two. Um, so this is a huge them. missed opportunity for them. Will it cost them? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, Burnley have dropped out of form very surprisingly um, after really seeming like they were pushing with momentum um, after Sean Dyche was fired, which we were all shocked by. And now I'm honestly equally shocked to see them uh, drop off this fast because um, they really seemed like they were on the up and up. Um, but Everton are definitely still there in control. Um, they, you know, they have they have a game up on Leeds. They have a game in hand on Leeds. Um, Burnley also have a game in hand on Leeds, but uh, Everton have actually a worse goal difference than Burnley, surprisingly. Um, so I would say Everton's goal at this point needs to be to stay ahead of Burnley. I think Leeds are not going to be a worry. Leeds look really bad. Um, Leeds look like they're in real trouble. Uh, and I think Leeds at this point need to be focused on getting above Burnley. Uh, Everton, I would say, yeah, they just need to make sure that Burnley don't catch up to them. Uh, and it's going to be tough because Burnley, you know, despite the drop in form, like they were gaining momentum and they were pushing for survival um, after Sean Dyche was fired. And they're certainly not going to go away quietly. Um, like you said, Ben, they're definitely going to go for that attitude of if they're going to go out, they're going out guns and blazing. That's how Burnley play. Um, that's how they've always survived. Uh, and this season is no different. And so I think that's Everton's main focus right now is they have to stay ahead of Burnley. I think at this point, Leeds are, um, they're out of this conversation specifically. They're definitely not out of the survival race, unfortunately, but are, are obviously, but unfortunately for them, it's, it's like of those three teams remaining, it, it's looking real bad for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Leeds, speaking of guns and blazing, 
I think that's what leads need to do because they are in serious deep water. Their goal differential, um, they, they, they can't rely on goal differential because they're about 20 worse than both Everton and Burnley. Um, one game less than both of them. Uh, Everton two game, sorry, two points above on the table. They have to go, um, they're Brighton at, at home and then Brentford on the road. They got to look at this as they need at least one of those wins. They win one of those games and at least they give themselves a chance. But if you're looking at it fighting for your season, they took, they worked so hard to get back up to the Prem. Um, really excited. So many fans to see Leeds back. They need to just go out guns blazing, hopefully rely on their defense enough to give them enough, um, you know, enough defense for them to win a game. And they got to go out and take care of one, one of the two games. They do that. And there's a ton of pressure on Burnley, especially, but Leeds as well. I'm sorry, about Everton as well. Well, not to mention Burnley still have a trip to Tottenham to come. It's true, Sunday. Tricky for them, I think. It's It's also tricky for Tottenham now. Um, Burnley's one of those teams that could always just nick out random, like, draws against quality teams. See, but that's what I'm thinking is, is Burnley's got a lot of opportunities for draws coming up. They don't have a lot of opportunities for wins. And so they're going to be relying a lot on – you know, the performance of a club like Everton, right. To, you know, Everton obviously have Arsenal coming up, but like in Brentford, but Everton is a lot, I think I would feel a lot more comfortable with Everton coming out with a win or two here versus Burnley. I would really not say there's any clear victory opportunities here, but like you said, Jesse, definitely a great opportunity for some draws, but then that really doesn't put you in a great position to overtake somebody like Everton. It really just kind of puts you in like, we're just going to try to cloth a couple points out of these ties, you know? Who cares if they're in 16th or 17th? It really doesn't matter. They just, they, they just can't be in that 18th spot. I mean, these are two well, teams. They, I mean, they could drop to that 18th spot because I mean, there's opportunities for wins for the teams around them. Right. True. There are, but I mean, it, it just like, I'm looking at Everton's three remaining fixtures and it just makes their result today against Watford look even more frustrating because their next two games are both at home. They're against very winnable opponents in Brentford and Crystal Palace, both teams that are in form, but both teams that Everton have the quality to overcome, especially at Goodison Park. Right, right. Um, so not getting a result against Watford, a vastly inferior opponent who they should be beating. I mean, it's just, it, it's got to be infuriating if you're an Everton fan seeing those two fixtures are coming up because there's no way they can rely on the final day against Arsenal to decide their fate that's just not realistic for Everton right now it's not realistic um, for their fans not realistic for the quality that they've shown especially if they're going to Emirates on the final day there's no way they're getting a result out of that so they could have had the opportunity to basically have their survival wrapped up at this point I would say hypothetically uh, and they didn't get it done today so it's just it's so maddening if you're an Everton fan to see that so let's transition over to the FA Cup final. Liverpool uh, take on Chelsea once again in a cup final. What are we thinking here? Liverpool. With a win that's, I think, going to be more comfortable than it was in the EFL Cup. Uh, I'm with you guys in that, actually. Um, you know, I, I think particularly with uh, as disappointing as Man City's result, uh, the 5-1 win against Wolves, was today. I think that's just going to serve as motivation for Jurgen Klopp's side. I mean, we've seen in the past few years how mentally they, they've responded to these kinds of setbacks and they respond very well. Um, I think it's just going to motivate them even more. They know that the Premier League's likely, very likely out of range. So this is another massive opportunity for them to get their hands on some more silverware. And besides that, they've been in better form. Um, they've been the better side than Chelsea this season. So I, I think 
all signs really point to a Liverpool victory here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's tough to quantify the Chelsea season realistically, especially down the stretch with what they've had to go through. Um, I think, you know, they've rebounded quite well and kept themselves kind of afloat. But realistically, I think we have to take Chelsea season kind of with an asterisk here because, I mean, all the stuff that they're dealing with, with the sale of the club, not knowing if they're going to go to away matches, like all of these factors that have been against them the whole year, make them sort of like seem, I guess, publicly like the underdog. But at the same time, like they're not, I mean, Chelsea are very, like they're defending UCL champions, right? I mean, they're a good team. They have very solid positive results every, you know, against big teams and, you know, they find ways to score goals and that makes them a very dangerous opponent for Liverpool. And so I want to, you know, caution getting into this idea that, you know, Liverpool just have this wrapped up because they're Liverpool uh, because, you know, Chelsea or Chelsea can be just as dangerous on any given day. Right. And it really comes out to like what Chelsea we're going to get because they do have those two ranges. Right. Uh, They have the down Chelsea that's struggling and um, that washed out of the champions league. And then you have your Chelsea that can go out and beat somebody three, nothing on any given day. Right. So I think it really comes down to uh, how prepared Thomas Tuchel is for uh, Jurgen Klopp and how well uh, those center backs can mitigate some of the creative play of Liverpool. And no Fabinho for this FA Cup final as well, which would be big for Liverpool. That, that I think is big, 100%. I don't think it's as big as you guys think it is. <laughs> I think that's huge. I mean, so does Henderson now drop to Fabinho's position, the uh, Tiago and Keita? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the only other option. I, I don't, well, I don't if want they to go down. And that's how simple a social it is because that is how much depth and flexibility Liverpool have. And that's why I say, like, losing Fabinho is not that big of a deal. But that can change them tactically, right? Because what Fabinho provides when they go down is the capability to drop back as a third center back, right? That Hendo, I don't think is necessarily apt to do, right? So say Chelsea go up two nothing and Liverpool needs to score two goals in the in the remaining 25 and they want to send Trent and uh, Andy Robin, Robertson forward. I mean, they don't have that safety blanket in Fabinho to kind of control the middle. So I do think if Liverpool are able to impose their will and as they have generally been through the season, right? I mean, against an average Premier League side, sure, that's fine. But in a game against like a one-off like Chelsea, right? I think they have that, uh, extra depth with Fabinho there to kind of be a little bit more flexible with their outside backs and kind of switch to more of like a back three uh, and have him play as a sweeper to kind of hang on uh, another team's um, like re- withdrawn forward. Mm-hmm. Jesse, what do you think about this? I think that I think it's a great, great point because they do play so much to their wing backs, but you also look at City and how much they rely, they have relied on their wing backs if, if with a healthy Walker and Cancelo. So, and uh, very similar. Who who's in the back for them? Rodri, who kind of hops into that third, could hop into that third center back. Very similar. I think, think that's a really good matchup to be looking at. Is if Henderson can perform to the same level that Rodri does, then yeah, I think Liverpool's in the driving seat as they have a stronger front three. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Liverpool here again. I, I think that. Um, I, I, I like I like the way they've been playing overall. I think they can defend better um, most times, and yeah, I just I feel I feel like City here and there just you know haven't been able to get it done when it matters most. It's going to be the season of that. I mean Chelsea, Liverpool already took care of City. Sorry, thank yeah. you. No, no worries. Um, but yeah, I mean I think you know, like I just at Liverpool surely just on the basis of recent recent form, momentum, and just performance. I'm sorry, did I say Rodri? You said Rodri, yeah. yeah. I say, sorry, I meant to say Conte. <laughs> I'm good. 
Um, um, the same idea though, where, sorry, Reese James, I said Walker and Kinsella, yeah. sorry, Reese James and I mean, it has to be Alonzo over Chilwell, but yes, same idea, Conte drives forward a little bit more, but still kind of holds that back a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to say 2-1 Liverpool, but this game's going to go to extra time. Aksha, what about you? I think Liverpool gets the job done in in, uh, in regulation. I think uh, 3-1, 2-0. It's going to be a two-goal difference, I think. I'm also going to go – I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. That's just a feeling that I have. I'll commit to 3-1 on the basis that I think Chelsea has enough quality to score, um, but I think it's going to be late on, and I think it's going to be when they're already well out of the match. Probably a late goal with Liverpool up two, and then Liverpool adds one in extra time. Uh, or, or Sorry, not extra time, but but added time. Or, or something time like that. Yeah. Jesse? Um, 3-2. We're going to go 3-2. Interesting. Well, with one FA Cup final, with one domestic cup final to go, uh, we do have one that was played today. Uh, ben, we know, was not too happy about that. Neither was I. But Inter Milan have got their hands on the Coppa Italia after a very, very controversial 4-2 win over Juventus. Juve had a 2-1 lead. Inter Milan get a penalty in regulation time, convert that. Dubious penalty. Another one in extra time, convert that. Another questionable call. And then Perisic, I mean, you have to give credit to him, adds a fourth with, with a spectacular goal. But this is this is one that's just been clouded in, in controversy, isn't it, Ben? And as as VAR in Italy has been all season, particularly with Inter Milan, maybe that's the Juve yeah. family coming out. But I mean, I I I struggled really hard with this one because it was the culmination of and really a carryover from the previous matchups. I mean, Juventus and Inter played four times this season, and every single time it came down to controversial VAR reviews, right? Uh, the Supercopa, there was a penalty given. I mean, each time, and, and all have benefited for the most part Inter, right? I mean, these games have all come out with Inter on top at, at the end of, the, at the, end of the, the day. But what really brings home the, like, problematic penalty structure, right, is the like lack of it going both ways, right? So when there's a dubious call against Juventus, right, where it, you know, the referee lets one go. And, and some of this comes down to the Juventus players for trying to sell too hard, right? Because they've been hurt, like, by these calls so many times. Um, Juventus trying to, you know, recoup a call here and there. There was a play today where Vlaovic uh, went down in some suspicious circumstances, but his, like, extra, you know, play acting on the way, like, he, if he had just fallen maybe it would have been a foul call. Right. But when he dives and goes, ah, you know, like, you know, that's going to naturally put some doubt in the referee's mind. Right. And so some of that's on the Juventus players for poor uh, showmanship, I guess. And, and it, like, if you get fouled, just get fouled and then take the call. Like don't try to draw it. Um, but I mean, this entire season has really been story after story of inter finding ways to win on penalty kicks. Right. Or lack thereof, right? So there was a play against uh, Torino where uh, Andrea Belotti was fouled uh, on his way into the box, right? As he's dribbling down by, uh, by Alessandro Bastoni. And in that play, right, that basically kept Inter in the title race because a draw against Torino would have meant AC Milan was going about six points up on, on, on top of the league, right? Um, with them, uh, I, I, I forget the exact result that, that Milan went through uh, the, during that week. But 
there's just been countless examples of Inter getting away with murder here and, and, and finding ways. And I'm trying really hard not to be biased, but it's just there, there's been a lot of um, interesting calls, I think, that have gone the wrong way and had have benefited, you know, Inter in particular. And, and every club benefits from different calls here and there throughout the season. But Inter seemed to be, have gotten away with it in the biggest moments. And uh, especially tonight, right, when they were down two to one and Juventus, and this is also on Allegri too for trying to pack it in early, Juventus packed it in early, started playing with three center backs. And that was a huge oversight by Allegri. I, I don't know what kind of moron thinks that, you know, packing it in with 25 to 30 minutes left is, is a good idea. But um, I mean, that it, it is endemic too of how Juventus has played this entire year and why they're struggling. But when it comes down to it though, regardless of like inept decision-making by the coaches, when soccer is a sport of such tight margins and you get a call like that when it's two to one, you know, that's a big deal. And, and I, I find, it, find it really hard and, and I struggle with the lack of accountability that a lot of these officials have too, to the public. And, and they, they don't release statements. Explain, but it, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I understand the, the, the leagues, you know, want to protect these officials, but like in American sports, for instance, like hockey, I'll point to, because it's a sport that I watch a lot regularly as well. The referee comes out and says, we looked it upstairs. We wanted to make sure that the puck crossed the whole line and it's a good goal, right? You know, they explain as to what their decision is, not just do a little TV screen and then point to the penalty spot and, and don't have to explain their decisions. I just think it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous thing. You know, if they came out with some accountability and said, hey, we thought there was a little bit too much contact here, fine, we get it. But I think at the same time, like it's it's also just not applied equitably across uh, the game, right? So they'll look at one thing, but not another. And I think that's what drives fans crazy because, and this is the problem with replay too, is once you put it in, it's got to go even further, right? You got to look at more plays. You got to look at it. If you're going to look at one thing, you got to look at everything. It can never just work out evenly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then I, I want to touch upon more um, on Allegri's tactics. I think you, you basically hit everything. Um, with the controversy, with, with the penalties, um, without Inter Milan benefited from it. Um, Akshay, you compared Allegri's tactics today, I'm seeing in the chat, to Jose Mourinho's. You've had that 2-1 lead. They did decide to pack it in. They were punished for it. Maybe not entirely their fault, but punished nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I, that was more a joke than anything. Uh, I didn't, I must confess, I did not watch this final myself. Um, I'm trying to find if there's footage of the, the penalty call that you guys are talking about, because I want to see that. Curry almost didn't watch it either until I made him. Yeah, Ben guilted <laughs> me into watching it. Um, Curry's a fake fan. I've said um, it a lot on Twitter, but I'll say it again on the pod. <laughs> but yeah, I would say uh, it's just, I think more and more in, in modern football. Um, and for Italy, I almost want to put an asterisk on that, because I know that Italy is known as a very defensively strong league, um, and it, Italian soccer is generally thought of as, as very defensively focused. Um, but that being said, uh, I would agree with you, Ben, that, you know, in, in, a, in, in a cup final, uh, when your team is up 2-1, and there's still, uh, you, you guys are saying there's literally like 25 minutes left in the second 60, half? 66 minute was the, was the substitution to bring on Bonucci instead of Bernardeschi. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's gotta be infuriating to watch. Um, mm -hmm. It's terror football, really, is what it is. Uh, yeah, it's and uh, I think more and more in modern football, that just like even if it's justified, even if they were up two nil and there were twenty minutes left, um, I think it's just you, you. In modern football, more and more, you just cannot afford to do that um, with the offensive quality that teams have now. 
with the preparation that teams will have for these tactics, knowing that if they're a goal down in that situation, those tactics could easily be employed. There's like every top tier team has tactics that they will deploy um, for beating that strategy now. Um, so you can't, I, I think in modern football, it, it, nowadays, you just can't sit back and do that. You can't do what Jose Mourinho used to be so successful at doing. You can't do what Massimiliano, uh, what uh, Massimiliano Allegri tried to do. In the, wow, that's a hard name to say. You can't do what Allegri tried to do in this in this match. Um, and so I would agree with you both that it's just like, it, it's shocking to, to hear about this, that, you know, with 25 minutes left and you're only up a goal against the most attackingly talented team in Serie A, possibly besides yourselves, uh, it's almost like waving the white flag. I mean, it, it's it. It also, I wonder what it, if it speaks to the mentality, especially with Juventus having having you know several new signings on the offensive season. Vlahovic being the the headliner of those. What does it do for the mentality of those guys? Being like in a cup final, you don't trust us as attacking players, as in, immensely talented attacking players, to get the job done, to put our foot on the throats of these guys. You don't trust us to do that. You don't trust us to take care of business. In th- on this largest stage, in this important a setting, uh, I got to wonder what that does for the mentality of guys like <laughs> Dusan Blahovic and the other attackers on Juventus, because when they have such amazing attacking talent on that team, uh, utilize it. Put your foot down. Keep pressing. Keep your foot down on the accelerator and show no mercy. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it, exactly. That's yeah. I mean, the thing is, Vlahovic, as good as the signing as he's been, he hasn't quite been as prolific as he was in his Fiorentina days. And you know why? It's because he's not getting the service. And the reason he's not getting the service is because Allegri does not set his team up to attack, is ultra-conservative, is playing a brand of football, um, Akshay, that I think you've noted. It's just simply outdated at this point. It's, it's, it's honestly quite troubling to watch, really. And, and I've talked to with Curry about this on uh, ad nauseum, about, you know, Oh, we don't have the talent. Oh, we don't have like, no, we have talent, right? I mean, these guys are world-class, right? Vlaovic is a world-class striker. Paolo Dybala is a $10 million striker. I mean, these guys are worth money. They're good players. Now it, it really comes down to the coach and being able, and we've seen this with, I mean, we talked about Tottenham earlier, right? About setting your team up to its strengths rather than setting it up to your tactics. I mean, that's a huge thing that I dislike vehemently in a coach, right? When they come in and we're going to implement my system and you're just going to have to deal with it because that doesn't work well. A smart coach comes in and they take what they have and they convert it into something decent, you know? And Allegri is honestly great at just making excuses for himself as to why this, you know, I came in, we lost Cristiano Ronaldo after week one, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. You still have a good team, right? You have strikers. You have Alvaro Morata, who has played big games. You have Paulo Dybala, who's done almost everything that you can ask to do as a striker, winger, whatever, attacking mid. You know, you have versatile players. And when you're not versatile as a coach and you can't line your team up with an intent to win a game, okay, when he's talking about losing to Genoa as this is a club that, you know, really wanted to win that game bet more than us. And we were just hoping for a draw because it was a hard match. If you're, you, if you're one of the top clubs in the world and you're saying, oh, we're almost lucky that we got a draw today. It's a terrible mentality, right? And by the way, I, I want to add, um, conversely, on the other side of this, with all the attacking talent that Juventus have, uh, they do not have nearly enough of the defensive talent necessary to play those tactics. I'm sorry. Like, I've said it once, I've said it before. You guys really need to revamp your defense. Um, you know, the fact that Allegri is bringing on, what is it? What is he now, 38, 39-year-old Leonardo Bonucci uh, to hold down the fort in a cup final? Yeah, Bonucci is one of the best Italian defenders ever, but he's way past his prime, and he should not be your first option to come on in a 2-1 final cup final lead to hold down the fort. 
that should not be your first option. That I think See, really I, speaks I, I to disagree the, with that just the lack of defensive the, options that Juventus has. I would disagree with that from the perspective of the like Euro. I mean, I think Panucci still has a good amount left in the tank. He's not, he's not the problem. The problem was not bringing on old players. I think Chiellini had a, a very good match today. Matthias Delict is incredible. And I think coming off the bench, having, you know, Daniela Rugani is not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Right. But I, I and, you know, Danilo was a starter in this match, but had to go off in the first half because of a, uh, a an injury, right? So Morata comes on and they have to switch up and move Quadrado back there. That's another problem is you have a winger like Quadrado who plays right back. I mean, that's inexcusable. He's not a defender. And they've been trying to make him a defender for three years. And Allegri's been trying to do this because he's so skilled and they want to put him on the field, but it's just not worthwhile, right? But the problem with changing like that in the formation in the middle of the game is you lose defensive assignments, Okay. And that was really where the problem was for Juventus, right? Because on this play that we were talking about earlier with the VAR, the penalty, okay. There were two center backs that were fighting for the same ball. And then both of them lose accountability in that situation. When you keep your tactics the same and your defensive assignments the same, you can change formation at halftime. You can't change formation defensively in the middle of a, of a half. It just doesn't work that way. Defenders don't work that way. They're very rigid. They have, you know, assignments that they've been committed to for 66 minutes. Okay. But Chiellini and Delict knew exactly who they had for 66 minutes. Okay. And they're covering those pers- those people. And when you add Benucci to that, right, that shifts it up even more. And then all of a sudden they don't know who they have anymore against uh, Milan's top two, right? Inter's top two, who can now go right through the gaps between the, the three center backs, because it's something that they don't practice in, in practice anymore because Allegri is very rigid of, of having a four uh, back line. Under Antonio Conte, they were flexible and could do that. But when you switch that up like that, obviously Chiellini and Bonucci can do that together because they've done that their entire career, playing three in the back until Allegri started coaching this team and making it worse. Okay, Delict has played in a three back system, but they've never all played together in a three back system because there's a refusal by Max Allegri in his first stint and his second stint at Juventus of playing that way. Jesse, why don't you get in here? You seem pretty eager. Yeah, I, I mean, one is I, I agree. Going back to the point, you know, when when you're playing solid defense and the other team isn't threatening as much as you thought, just nail down the coffin. You know, throw throwing in defenders and throwing in more defenders, just praying that you're able to clear the ball for 20 minutes. I just don't think tactically makes sense to start with. And then you have to look at the possibility if you're in a league game, maybe. Maybe because if you if you want to try to win it out and you're like, well, we think 80% of the time it's going to work, 5% of the time we're going to score and 15% of the time it won't, and we'll get the draw and that's it. But now you had to think about extra time. These substitutions weren't made for the potential chance of if it doesn't work, setting your team up still for success in extra time. And I think that's where you really see the negatives um, from this game. But you have to look at two other things now. So, yes, we could shit, you know, shit on Allegri as much as possible. Are Juve going to go with their third coach in three years? I don't think so. They really wanted Allegri. They really wanted him. So I don't see them getting rid of Allegri to start with. Um, that's, num- that's number one. Second is you look at this team ne- for next year. How many of these starting players – Stay because the ball, I can guarantee you, will not be playing. It will not be in a Juve jersey next year. Um, I, if I'm Quadrado, I, I would want out since I can't find a damn fit on this team. Um, you know, they'll probably keep Chesney and DeLitt and Sandro, but 
there's there's a lot of guys. I mean, I don't know if Rabiot's going to be on the team next year. I don't know if he's good enough for the team. Rabiot's not good enough for the team. Sandro is not good enough for the team, but he'll be there. Sandro's been bad for four years. Quadrado will stay because I think he just signed a renewal. And um, uh, he, he loves the club. I mean, he doesn't have a problem. He's getting a lot of playing time and they treat him well. I mean, he's just – he's a winger. I, I don't know why. I think another another thing to note about Juan Cuadrado is he's not a super ambitious guy from what I've seen. He's not yeah. like super he he doesn't care as much about you know winning he's big trophies. But that's probably one of the motivations for him not caring too much about his role at Juventus. Yeah. Yeah, he's content no, as long as he's playing realistically. But yeah, back I, to I think, Jesse. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Sorry to mean No, I, I'm sorry. I, I I think you know. Oh, all right, Ben, you're you're frozen. Um, Jesse, why don't we why don't we get you in here? Um, just back to your point about how how many of Juve's players are you know going to really stick around and come next season because they have a lot of rebuilding to do, don't they? They have a, they have a lot of rebuilding to do, and thankfully they could help build it around Chiesa and Vlavic, which is going to be a very fun two of the three front three that they're probably going to play if they decide to go back to playing a front three. But there needs to be a lot of overhaul here, and Juventus is a uh, it's a it's a big exciting club that has money. Um, has the name, has the brand. So they could definitely attract a, you know, a lot of talent. But the other quick thing I was going to mention is going back to VAR. I thought VAR was supposed to be used for a clear and obvious error. That's what they always claim it is, clear and obvious error. But then they use VAR at other times as well. And the definition consistently changes for them. I hear the announcers, oh, it has to be clear and obvious. Well, a lot of times it isn't. And... VAR still makes the decision. And a lot of times it is, and VAR doesn't make that decision. And the, cons- the consistency of the inconsistency with VAR is a real problem. The second problem I have with it is why doesn't VAR, if they have people there, just make the decisions? Why do they need the ref to go to the board for them to bring in their own input on it? If VAR is going to be part of soccer, then it needs to be part of soccer with the same mindset judging it consistently. It can't be it, it can't be the fact that this is potential, you should go take a look at it and then have your own view. That's not what VAR is used for. It needs to be clear and obvious and the people that are running it need to be the ones running it, not the referees that are going to come in that are running the game and take a look now because someone buzzed down. I just don't think that's the way it should work or the definition needs to be changed. It's one of the two. Agreed. I mean, it's definitely, definitely need, need a reform. And I think, you know, we, we've discussed this at length uh, on the Premier League. Um, and I've said that it works better in other leagues, but I think Serie A is definitely another. Um, and I think, Ben, you're definitely in Akshay in agreement here. Yeah. Serie A is just another area where it needs to improve. But before before we head out, final bit of news of the day. This is just coming in and good find from Akshay. Um, her goal.com, Giorgio Chiellini, it appears, has confirmed that he will leave Juventus um, at the end of the season. Akshay, you you found this. Um, we were talking a lot about Juve's defense, the fact that they're bringing in guys like, you know, Kiel, oh, not, not that Aquilina started, but Benucci, um, some older players to shore out the defense. And he's not uh, retired. One, one of their most experienced players. He's not retiring. Uh, sorry, sorry he's, he's uh, going to go to the MLS. Yes, uh, that's his plan. Uh, and I want to use that to speak more on Juve's defense because uh, this really, for me, is, is another indicator of the endemic problem that Juve has currently, which is, they haven't, like, Jesse, uh, Alex, you both mentioned Juve has the need to rebuild. Uh, they need to rebuild. They've started rebuilding offensively with signings like Chiesa, uh, Vlahovic, guys like that. 
Um, you know, they've, they've continued to make midfield signings throughout. They have way too many midfielders in their roster and have done so for the past three or four years. But, you know, that's beyond saving. Um, where is the rebuild on defense? Why are you not bringing in young center backs to learn under two absolute legends in Chiellini and Bonucci, two of the best center backs of all time, period, not just in Italian football, but ever? One of them is now out the door. You have lost all opportunity, probably the best Italian center back ever, Giorgio Chiellini, if not one of the best center backs ever. He's definitely better than Benucci, in my opinion. He is now gone. You have lost the opportunity to have young, young, high potential, highly uh, potentially talented young center backs come in and learn under these two guys. You now have only Benucci left to do this. And who, who knows how long Benucci is going to stay with you guys, uh, given that Chiellini is now out the door. Benucci is probably out the door soon as well. Uh, unless he, you know, he could be a Juventus lifer. Um, but where's the rebuild on defense? Juventus has made one major defensive signing that I can think of in the past few years, that being Matthias Delict, who is good. He's very good. He's young. He's talented. He will be your, he, he's definitely a franchise center back for a long time if they can hold on to him. Who else? Sandro's a failure. You have no other good fullbacks that I can think of. Not the uh, after Bonucci, who is your after Bonucci and Delict? Who are your center back options? Where is the defensive rebuild? Where is the investment in a defense that sorely needs not only an, an injection of youth, but also an injection of talent, an injection of uh, recycling? You need Sandra out, but he's not going anywhere because you renewed his contract stupidly. Uh, <laughs> Delict is here. Uh, Delict is not being used to his full potential because sometimes he doesn't even start because you guys still had Chiellini and Bonucci, the two old veterans who are great. Yeah, I want to throw all respect on their names, but they're old. They're fucking old. You need to bring in young <laughs> defensive talent, and you haven't done that. <laughs> I, uh, and I'm so mad I've accidentally muted myself. You're not going to get that with Allegri. You have zero fullback options. I'm sorry. Your starting fullbacks are absolute trash, and you have nobody to replace them. <laughs> and all the fullbacks on the market, by the way, are not going anywhere near your team. Ben, as so much as this is hurting what you. What is the plan? What is the rebuilding plan for your defense? You have a goalie in Wozniak Chesney, a starting goalkeeper, who's also nearing his 40s. He also stinks. He's also yeah, terrible. He's not great. I, I personally have defended terrible. Chesney a lot, but he is not Juventus quality, he's especially terrible. not if you guys look I, domestically. I agree you guys are fine. You're going to be, right gonna be competing for Serie A as long as you guys are a club. That's Juventus. That's, you know, that's the deal, right? They're not going to have a Manchester United S collapse, we hope, anytime soon. <laughs> So if you want to have any hope of being competitive in the Champions League, don't you think you might want to invest in the defense a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Rant over. Thank you for coming and, to my TED Talk. Do you have any other rant to do? Because if not, I want to wrap, wrap wrap this up with two two more small questions. Yeah, I do. I'm I, good. I would love to say more, but, you know, it would just be insulting. <laughs> you guys, so. No, I mean, actually, you're entirely right the whole way through. And, and so this goes back. I've talked to Puri about this uh, actually two weeks ago about all of the de young defensemen, uh, all the young defenders that we have cycled through in the last few years that could have been the next talent. And all of them were squandered. And I can list them off to you for sake of time. Uh, Mattia Caldara, Mira Demaral, okay? Daniele Rugani was supposed to turn into something great and didn't, okay? The, the problem is, and I will point back to this, is Cristiano Ronaldo, okay? I'm going to sound like the aliens guy from his show Ancient Aliens on History with the, like, crazy hair that goes, it's always aliens. Um, it, it is Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Because they had to sell off a lot of those guys to pay for him, right? Those, those were talented, quality center backs that they had to loan out every year for the experience, okay? And then also, and, um, and you know, 
and also to make their money back because they spent a hundred billion dollars on Cristiano Ronaldo and couldn't retool the rest of the team. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, no, it's not Ronaldo's fault, but his, his, you know, entry to the team really hampered their ability to retool. And this goes also back to Max Allegri too, wanting to play four in the back because with Antonio Conte, we played three in the back. So we've gone through an, an enormous number of center backs over the years. Okay. At some points we've had five and six center backs on the roster. Uh, Raguzin is a guy that you guys probably don't know yet, but he's another guy who's on loan right now, like Cagliari, who has uh, also great potential, right. But is not going to be able to play in Juventus's back line because of Giorgio Chiellini and Matthias Delict, And we're only playing two in the back uh, in the center. And you're right. We also don't have fullbacks, which is another reason to play three center backs. And Allegri just refuses to do it. And I've talked to Purry about this on and off for several years now. They need to get away from it. We don't have the players to play it. Juan Cuadrado is not a back. You just need to find a right mid or a left uh, or, or a left mid. You need. You don't need to find a right mid. I think that's where Juan Juan Cuadrado could actually play. But that's but that's what I'm saying is when you give him the defensive responsibility, you need to find places for people that aren't right back when you're mm-hmm. aware. It just it's it's so counterintuitive. When we had Douglas Costa on the on the team, it was the same thing. They couldn't find a place for him in the starting lineup and had to loan him out to Byron because we're playing four on the back. It, it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't. And, and it's clear that this team with the solid defensive players, I mean Bonucci and Chiellini are great. Their performances have declined because they've gone away from what they've been good at, which is playing three in the back. Bonucci, Barzagli, Chiellini, best if if you could just replace Barzagli with Delict and make that work, that would have been disgusting. But instead, we are just forced to watch Alexandro crap the bed every week, okay? And then Juan Cuadrado, who can't defend. With Danilo, Danilo, the right back, playing as one of the two center midfielders alongside Rabio. Oh, gosh. I have no words for Max Allegri. I really don't. It's natural. It comes out. It it infuriates me. My face is red right now because I just – I can't even – I can't handle it. One last point. We are an audio platform. but can confirm that Ben's face is, in fact, red. And I, I want to be red-faced, too, because I, have, I want to make one last point on this. I think Juventus is getting dangerously close, if not already, in the, the territory that is very similar to what Barcelona found themselves in and are just barely starting to recover from now, which is that they've invested entirely, pretty much entirely, in exclusively attacking talent. They haven't focused on their defense at all. Uh, similar to Barcelona, Barcelona, I think, made one high-profile defensive signing. Uh, over that period where they were declining, uh, that being Samuel and Titi, who turned out to be complete garbage, uh, similar to, let's say, to a Rugani or a Sandro, in that he was supposed to be your high-profile defender of the future, but turned out to be complete shit, right? And then after that, there's been no high-profile defensive signings, zero. Um, so I think you're dangerously close to getting to the point where you're going to become a Barcelona. You're going to have a ton of attacking players who are incapable of playing well together because they're overloaded. There's not enough places in the squad for all of their talent to be accommodated. Uh, and you've got zero investment in the defense, which leads to your team collapsing. So I think Juventus is in a real point of crisis. Uh, and this summer transfer window is going to be pivotal for them. Absolutely pivotal. Yep. Jesse, um, you said you wanted to close up with those two points. Let's see if anything yes. else you wanted to, wanted to add to yes. this conversation. Really quick. I think when you look at guys that are getting older, you play in a back three that really transitions on a defense to back five. That means a little bit less running for the center backs seems like a no-brainer to me to play a back three over a back two, um, especially when you could, if you want to put in someone there like Benucci, you know, him and Chiellini, not the same speed, not probably the same stamina, but I can guarantee they could hold their own in a back three with the lit potentially playing um, on one of the, the sides where maybe Chiellini controls more of the middle where there's just a little bit less running there. Um, that's number one. Uh, in terms of changing the conversation, I do want to throw out two, three final questions and they'll all be just very quick answers. 
the first question is of those three we met we talked about the um relegation fight in the epl but we didn't actually said who was going to go down so alex your pick on going down is leads akshay also leads then i'm hoping it's burnley i'm gonna go leads i agree i fortunately agree and i i really want to be wrong here because i really do like watching leads play football the second question erling holland signing for man city will man city finally win the champions league next year nope they never nope. will no chance in fucking hell champions league's rigged i'm over it they'll never win because it's rigged I mean, it's not why they're never going to win. They're never going to win because you cannot purchase the Champions League. This is a lesson that we see every single year with PSG and Man City. Hurry, <laughs> hurry, hurry. Your team has spent only slightly less than Man City. No, I don't want to hear it. No, 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 the amount of money, the amount of money in Liverpool squad and Man City's, I don't want to hear Liverpool it. built it. They've had to spend to buy. They bought um, Van Dijk. They have with the money, money they for the last three years people. playing for Champions League. That's a great The team has shelled out way more money than they brought in. They built their team with excellent business. Man City have just bought it because they have a human rights. Excellent business when they're hemorrhaging. You don't think, Alex, you don't think signing the the striker of this generation for 51 million euros is not good business? It is good business, but I mean, they also signed Jack Realish. They signed a backup winger for 100 million. Who cares? Yeah, and that That's was probably problem. the worst signing I mean, of the no summer transfer window, and yeah. we all agreed on that. They're oh, still it doesn't good matter. enough to win a but Champions that, that, League. But th- that's the point, Akshay. Jack Realist didn't work out, and it doesn't matter because they can just spend another $100 million on whoever the fuck they want if they want. That, that's well, the whole so thing. You Liverpool. probably could, no, too. No, they can't. You could, too. No, we cannot. It's just you not guys are separated by less than $60, like 60 million, okay, in terms of what you shelled out. To Nets buy a champions the past league. five years says it all. Negative 65 million for Liverpool. They've shelled out negative 65 million compared to what they've sold off to bring in. I sent you the thing on Twitter the other day. They are so comparable, it's not even funny. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no, but for the fact that the fact they put up five goals against Real. In 180 minutes, like, I think that's completely fine. I mean, you got to look at the defending here. It wasn't, it wasn't the offense. It was the defending that was really a joke um, at times. It's kind of unacceptable. Way, um, Dortmund, again, absolutely fucking fleecing themselves. They sold Erling Haaland for more than 20 million less than they sold Jaden Sancho for. Well way, done, Borussia Dortmund. Speaking of Dortmund, brilliant piece of business. Speaking of Dortmund, Marco Royce may be the most loyal person, not in football, but on this damn earth. Okay. Yes. So he's the only person that has stayed at Dortmund this entire time. Okay. There's no, like, it's unbelievable. I'm going to, I'm going to say no, but just because I think the champions league is really hard to win. And I just would take the field over city any day. Um, I think if PSG put back this team, maybe they'll actually figure out a way with some good defending. Um, And then you have Liverpool and Bayern and whoever else. Real, of course. Um, And of course, Villarreal. So um, that, that's two. Third is the biggest. Well, I would I would now claim this is the second biggest game of the EPL season behind the Liverpool Man City game that happened earlier this season at the Etihad. What are we going? Arsenal, Tottenham. I'm gonna go draw one one. And our, do Arsenal win, win, win top, get top four? Well, if it's a draw, it's a four-point gap between Arsenal and Tottenham with two games to go. I, I do not see how Arsenal will bottle that. 
So yeah, I, I think it's a draw. Um, and that should put enough comfortable distance between Arsenal and Tottenham. Okay. Akshay? I, as much for my own pleasure as for what I think will actually happen, I think Tottenham's going to choke it like no other. Uh, and I think it's going to be 3-1 Arsenal. 3-1 Arsenal. Ben? I'm going to say the opposite. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Tottenham the 3-1 advantage tomorrow. I think it's a bold one. But I'm hoping that Antonio Conte doesn't let me down again. I, I mean, on that note, I mean, I, I, Ben, if Tottenham win that game, who gets top four? Tottenham. If Tottenham win that game, they'll be galvanized enough, and Arsenal have a tough schedule going down the stretch. I think it's Arsenal's to lose if that game ends in a, in a, in a draw, obviously, and it's definitely theirs if they win. Jesse? Alex knows that I'm basically the king of picking Arsenal. You are. Game. Yeah. Okay. I, I call I call big big time losses when when it happens. Okay. I've been doing it all season. They're gonna win. They're gonna win. It's gonna Ooh. be scrappy. It's gonna be tough. And I'm gonna go one nothing to the Arsenal. Back back. Okay. I, one I think nil. big prediction to the Arsenal. Scrappy yeah, scrappy game, tough game. I think that it could even be a fluke goal. It could be a little like dink and dunk that hits someone off. Um I see this being a fight out there. This is going to be an absolute fight. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be really physical. And <laughs> I, I, I think Arsenal somehow will will get it done this season. Is there going to uh, be is there going to be VAR bullshit? Oh, if it's VAR bullshit, it's it's going against Arsenal. So and there there will not be there will be no VAR bullshit because it would absolutely go against Arsenal. Um, no. Um, this is this is going to be an absolute fight um, of a game, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I'm also going to put out there that if Arsenal do not win this game, they are going to get clobbered. It's going to be one of the two. Interesting. I do not see Tottenham just squeaking by with it. I could either see them smoking the hell out of Arsenal and giving them a real reality check and scare, or Arsenal just scrapping out this game. I don't think that they're going to – and uh, I don't think Tottenham's going to implode the way you guys say. I think that Tottenham's going to play a good game and just not find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Because it's the history of the Tottenham. It's the history of the Tottenham. Speaking of Chiellini, Chiellini. Uh, great Anything defender and a wise defender. Um, so, so, but, go ahead, Jesse. As you say, that's all I had for us on, for the show. Yeah, well, um, I think with that, we've hit all bases. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday, although the episode will probably go out sometime on Monday. Um, ben, you will be back with us as well. So looking forward to that. Um, obviously, yeah, maybe more more Ronaldo debates with, with Jeff. I was going to say, with, with, with Jeff, and honestly, I, I, we got to go now. With, well, we'll talk about Sunday with man, just Man U's absolute beauty for nothing loss. Oh, yeah, of course. I very much enjoyed that one. Um, I you, thoroughly you, you enjoyed know, it. You know, it's funny. I so there's like a bar, like literally right next to Anfield. Um, and I was as we were walking by, I heard like a loud cheer, right? And the, and the Brighton, the Brighton United game was going on. I was like, oh, okay, like Brighton must be like three 0 up by now at this point. Um, but on that fun little anecdote, uh, maybe not for Akshay, but for the rest of us, I'm Alex Purry alongside Jesse Levine, Akshay Badwani, Ben. As always, thank you for hopping on. Look forward to. Speak with you again on Sunday. And until then, take care.